AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They were Britain's fastest-selling exports since the Beatles. In 1996, the Spice Girls built an instantaneous empire with infectious tunes and outrageous antics. With their larger-than-life personalities, the irreverent girl power gang charmed their way into international stardom. And from day one, they sparked tabloid chaos. Despite being one of the hottest groups in the world, they would pay the price in personal anguish and public humiliation. Now, take a look at the hidden history of these iconic pop stars. It's time for a gaudy jaunt with five brassy Brits. The Spice Girls, the story behind the music. In 1998, just two years after the release of their first single, the Spice Girls were the hottest act in the music business. They'd come from nowhere to sell over 20 million albums and were idolized by five continents of fans. No one had seen anything like it before, really, since pretty much since the Beatles, really, and especially never a girl band at this kind of level. Everything was obsessed with Spice Girls. They were really the highest they could be. People were hysterical for these girls. There was total adoration and, you know, frenzy. The Spice Girls were built on saucy looks and sassy lyrics. And together, they projected a feisty image of fiercely independent feminism. I really felt like we were on a mission, and this was for girls to join in. And it was honest. And I am proud to have been a part of that. What was new about the Spice Girls is they were the first girl group that wasn't boy crazy. And that was something completely new. But the amazing popularity of their message of empowerment soon had the Spice Girls being victimized by a hungry media mob. At the height of the mania, their private lives were turned into very public circus acts. There were so many rumors going around when the Spice Girls were at the height of their fame. Whether posh was really posh, whether Jerry had a boob job. A day wouldn't go past without them being in any newspaper. They're on TV all the time. They literally just had to blow their noses and they would end up on the front pages. Beset by a ravenous press and rampaging egos, it was only a matter of time before the Spice Girls folded. In just four short years, they emerged from oblivion, became a phenomenon, and abruptly imploded. You put five girls together who have come from nowhere to the biggest girl band in the world, and you're going to get problems. 
Life as a global superstar once seemed like an impossible dream for Jerry Hallowell. Born in August of 1972, she was raised in a dingy neighborhood in the town of Watford, England. My family were very, very poor, so I used to tell awful lies to my friends to try and make myself feel more interesting. Like I used to say I was born on a plane. I'd say I had sheep in my back garden, but really the reality was the wallpaper was falling down and we had no money. The daughter of a Spanish mother and an English father, Jerry thirsted for the spotlight even as a young child. But it would be some time before she was out on her own. My father took me to a talent agency when I was about six years old, and he didn't ask my mother's permission. And I got home all really excited, and my mother says, I don't want you to be the next Judy Garland and end up killing yourself. You're not allowed to do anything till you're 16. By the time I was 16 years old, I was gagging to get out the door. As it turned out, all of the Spice Girls were bitten by the showbiz bug early in life. The future sporty Spice, Melanie Chisholm, grew up in a broken home in Liverpool, England. And for her, music was a welcome escape from the very beginning. I was always a lover of music. I started listening at a very young age to all my mum's records, lots of Motown, Stevie Wonder. And I did just have dreams about being up there and being in front of a band. By the summer of 93, Melanie and Jerry had made their way to London, where they subsisted on the occasional odd job as they tried to find their way to fame. I was auditioning for different things. It must have been about a year you know, and, and nothing had happened. From 16 to 21, I counted, I'd moved every six months to 16 different addresses. It was something like that. It's a ridiculous amount. I have lived in bed sits and squats. I've been homeless. I've slept in backs of cars. And I was too proud to go to my family and say, oh, God, I'm really suffering here. In March of 1994, the girls saw an ad for streetwise and ambitious young females in a cut-rate showbiz paper called The Stage. It was a long shot, but one Melanie needed to take. I needed to get a job. You know, things were really, really tough. And I said to my mates, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And I did. <laughs> Melanie auditioned immediately for the new girl group, which was the brainchild of first-time music manager Chris Herbert, his father Bob, and Chick Murphy, a wealthy London businessman. I did a very poor rendition of I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters. So uh, that is a good song though, and I was excited. <laughs> Mel C undoubtedly was the best singer. She was very girl next door, a bit tomboyish, but I kind of saw her as the vocal talent at that time. Next up was Jerry Hallowell. Jerry had already sought fame as a Turkish talk show host a nude model, and an exotic dancer. To her, the girl group was perhaps a final shot at stardom, and she was determined to make an impression. I'll never forget the day I met Jerry. I just thought she was crazy. She came in, and she had like these big punky boobs, and she had her hair up in little fairy things and bunches. She'd come in, and she was pretending she was a dog, and going, yep, yep, yep. And so I was just like, what is she on? I'm a little bit dizzy. So is she. <laughs> They're all trying. We got put into two groups. And I knew I'd put in the reject group, I could tell. And we had to put a dance routine together. And we were just a shambles. Undeterred by the group performance, Jerry quickly returned for a solo audition. And I think I blagged it a little bit and just was a bit loud and 
um, just pretend it's been where I carry. And she literally walked in the room and just completely filled the room, you know, bold as brass. And then we were like, wow, it doesn't matter if she can't sing. In addition to the fame hungry Hallowell and Melanie Chisholm, the group was rounded out by two teenagers named Melanie Brown and Victoria Adams and 16-year-old Emma Bunton. So nervous, and I thought, what if they don't like me? But luckily, we got on really well, and they liked me, and then Chick took me on. Using the working name Touch, the girls began rehearsing together immediately. But from the auditions onward, it was clear that the group was less about skill and more about attitude. If those were the best, and you look at the audition tapes, you kind of really wonder what the others must have been like. The Spice Girls got the gig, but there was nothing really extraordinary about them. None of them were great singers, none of them were real lookers, none of them could really particularly dance. The whole idea were these girls were just like you. We weren't looking for the best singers in the world, you know, just checking whether they're absolutely tone deaf or not. And really also seeing how they interacted with each other. And it was little more than that, really. In the spring of 1994, the girls all moved into a house in the suburbs of London to polish their act. Pizza's on the way. Few would have believed that within three years, theirs would be one of the most popular groups in music history. Next, the Spice Girls forsake their founder when Behind the Music continues. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the Lord was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In the spring of 1994, five ambitious British girls moved in together into a ramshackle house in the London suburbs. Calling themselves the Spice Girls, they wanted to achieve global fame as a singing group. But first, they had to build a sisterhood. The idea was to get them all living together because we thought it would really accelerate that whole bonding process. Some of the girls were barely old enough to be on their own, and the house they shared was in shambles within days. 
You opened the fridge and there was a can of baked beans in there and that's about it. It was just like a complete free-for-all. The worst thing about living in the house of five pills is I always have to clean the toilet. Because Emma and Victoria don't think know how to clean toilets because their mums do all that for them when they get home. For almost a year, the girls lived and rehearsed together with little money, fewer guarantees, and no contracts whatsoever. The project's financial backer, Chick Murphy, insisted that the singers were individually expendable. Chick was of the opinion, like, you know, we won't give them a contract. I want the girls to feel like any one of them is replaceable at any time. We were poor, you know, we didn't have anything. We, we needed some security, so we were pushing for this contract. And the contract wasn't the only thing causing tension, because Jerry Hallowell was dead set on becoming the Spice Girls' primary flavor. Jerry's a bit of a bossy boo sometimes, and I get a bit annoyed with her. I'm quite a motivated, enthusiastic person, because I'm quite hungry for fame. But as months went by without a contract and without a record deal, the girls spent as much time squabbling as they did singing. We do have really bad arguments, sometimes really bad arguments, where there's things flying and there's swearing, and it can get really, really nasty sometimes. Jerry and Melanie were the strongest personalities within the band, and together they were an awesome force. You made that And if they weren't getting on, then that was, you know, carnage. In November 1994, the Spice Girls finally got a break when Chris Herbert organized a showcase for a group of industry professionals. The girls knew it might be their only chance at success. Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And our styling was abysmal. I think we were styled by Jerry. How scary is that? So they performed We're Gonna Make It, and I remember thinking, God, they're amazing. They're just so larger than life. You know, there wasn't particularly the best singing, the tightest performance. It's just an energy, a buzz, and that came over right from the beginning. The showcase confirmed Jerry Hallowell's feelings that the Spice Girls had monster potential. If only they had the proper management. I thought the management weren't that good. They were nice, but they didn't have experience. Like, you know, they were just like your next neighbor deciding to be a, you know, a manager. I think that at that point, that balance of power kind of tipped and they then started to, to believe that, you know, what they were capable of achieving. In January 1995, the girls decided to strike out on their own. Under the cover of darkness and without a word to the group's creator, Chris Herbert, they packed up their demo tapes and left the house for good. We did a midnight flit. We were terrified and we just went. We were gone, we were out of there. I was furious at the time. Absolutely furious. You know, it was my little baby. I've worked with the girls. I also thought that we're all kind of friends as well. I felt very let down, very angry, angry about how it was dealt with. Surviving on little more than unemployment checks, the Spice Girls traveled 200 miles to Sheffield, England. There they appealed for help from famed songwriter Elliot Kennedy. They tried their hardest to impress me in a feminine way, I might say, and it didn't take long. I said, so what's going on? I said, well, look, we're sacking our manager. The girls soon moved in with Kennedy, but they were still without a record contract, and it seemed they had little hope of getting one. In the early days, it was tough for us because at the time in Britain, there was a, a big boom on boy bands, and um, they weren't really interested in any 
female artist. And you know, that really got us, that infuriated us. So that's why we, you know, we created the girl power movement, you know, if you want to call it. But I think it was probably one of Jerry's ideas. She's pretty good with ideas. She really gave them their brash tone, the girl power thing that was largely her concept. So she was really kind of the brash one that didn't necessarily have the talent, but really kind of set the tone of where they were going. For months, the girls pestered labels in hopes of getting signed. Then in March of 95, their persistence paid off when they enlisted longtime music manager Simon Fuller. Fuller would later achieve fame as the man behind American Idol, and he immediately heated up the Spice Girls' chances for success. Simon Fuller's influence in the band was just noticeable from day one. He made sure that they rehearsed on time, that everything was tightened up. It was more than just the singing, the dancing. He had a vision. Within months, Fuller had convinced Virgin Records to sign the group. And soon the Spice Girls were working on the catchy chorus for their first single. When you're with a gang of friends, you just have silly little catchphrases. And we were just, you know, zigga zigga, we just made up this stupid thing. And we were like, yeah, that'd be really funny if it was the chorus. And then it was. <laughs> when the Spice Girls released Wannabe in June of 1996, it was an instant total smash the first single ever by an all-girl group to debut at number one on the British charts. And they went from obscurity to this, literally, it was like an overnight thing. But once it broke, it was just incredible in the UK, incredible. And that was it, that was when it all started, the autographs and banging on the van and, you know, all that crazy Beatles stuff. <laughs> it was cool. The Spice Girls' amazing start had launched them to instant fame. The music was way better than anybody would have expected. It was energetic, it was catchy, it was infectious, it was brash. They're all having fun, they're like pushing food in people's faces. It just made you want to be part of it, really. Spice quickly spun out two more number one singles, including Say You'll Be There. The record would go on to sell an astonishing 22 million copies worldwide many to young females who went wild for the Spice Girls' sassy message. We're doing this for you, to, to make you be whatever you want to be, to help you be, you know, a Spice Girl or whatever, or to say you're part of something. Also, the girls chasing fame, wanting to be heard, but also I put my hand on my heart and I totally believe in girl power. The girls put on a brassy united front as a group. Egged on by manager Simon Fuller, they also took on individual identities the buxom and brash Jerry Hallowell, adopting the name Ginger Spice. Without doubt, the most outrageous member of the Spice Girls was Jerry Hallowell. Her personality was huge, it was infectious. Jerry just burst on the scene in kind of over-the-top outfits, this mad dyed red hair, just breasts popping out of her, really low-cut dress. She kind of fell out of her top as well, not that she seemed to care. In the group's videos, Ginger's flair was offset by the more mild baby spice, Emma Bunton. But Emma's sweet exterior belied a more saucy side. I'm naughty but nice. Underneath this, I've got my leather underwear on. She was all, you know, sweet and innocent, but turn off the microphone and she was naughty. Naughty as you could possibly want, you know. Melanie Brown, known for her quick temper, became Scary Spice, while trained gymnast Melanie Chisholm took the name Sporty. Victoria Adams, the only group member with an upscale upbringing, called herself posh, British slang for rich. 
Victoria always looked like she was serving community service by being in a Spice Girls video. So she was the one who was oh so above the whole thing. Kind of your girlfriend who liked to go out with everybody and you know, but when somebody says something, she looks the other way. The girls in your face message and individual style was a powerful hook to fans who could love the group and have a favorite Spice. You like the Beatles as a whole, but with the Spice Girls, you could identify with five different girls who might suit the way you look physically. I think every little girl in Britain wanted to be posh or ginger or baby or scary or sporty. It had never happened before. Within months of their debut, the Spice Girls were blanketing Britain, and fans were buying everything from CDs to clocks to coffee mugs. I don't think we'd ever seen, certainly within the UK, girls of three, four, five, and six asking their parents to buy them music. And there was a lot of money spent by consumers on what seemed to be pages and pages of merchandise in the Spice Girls catalog. They did watches, they did instant cameras, all the kids had those. There was Spice Girls chocolate bars, there was the Spice Girls dolls. I mean, it, we did so many things. With Spice Mania gripping the world, Britain's tabloid press went wild for gossip about the group. There were spurious rumors that some of the girls were lesbian lovers and that Emma Bunton and manager Simon Fuller were having a torrid affair. The tabloids nitpicked every public and private aspect of the Spice Girls you could possibly imagine. If they weren't sleeping with men, it was news. If they were sleeping with men, it was news. They were like the Beatles. Their every single move was documented. The paparazzi were everywhere. We used to have this thing, if your PR calls you on a Saturday night, you dread that phone call because you know there's a big story in on the Sunday. Take a look. They're tailing us. They're us. So those were difficult times. For a time, the girls fueled the fire with outlandish clothes and even more outrageous antics. And no one grabbed more headlines than Jerry Halliwell. Everywhere she went, she caused, you know, complete controversy. When she met Prince Charles, she kissed him on the cheek. She pinched his bottom. I mean, all the royal aides must have been tearing their hair up, thinking, what is this woman doing? She wouldn't curtsy for the Queen because she had on a low-cut dress and her boobs were in danger of spilling out all over the place. Within months, the girls had conquered Britain, and by early 1997, they were aiming to do the same to the United States. Spice Girls not only conquered the US, they got themselves on the cover of Rolling Stone. We always hoped that we'd get heard and our message would get listened to, but we didn't, I don't think we actually knew it would be as big or as amazing as it, as it is today. By the summer of 97, the Spice Girls were at work on their eagerly anticipated follow-up album. But within days of the record's release, the group dropped a bombshell when they fired Simon Fuller, the man who had masterminded their Titanic debut. The stunning move immediately sparked new rumors that things had turned sour between Simon and Baby Spice. There were so many different stories and reports and things, but it was a collective um, decision to leave Simon. None of us were happy. Nearly four years after forming, the Spice Girls wanted total control of their own destiny, and they resented the uproar that greeted their decision. People thought it was the end of the Spice Girls because we were leaving our manager. When we knew that we were the ones with millions of fans all over the world, not our manager. One of the most important messages that the Spice Girls were trying to promote was that of girl power. So when they fired Simon Fuller, that was the ultimate girl power move. They wanted to show the world that they didn't need a man to be in control of them. They didn't need a man telling them what to do. The Spice Girls had only released one album, and already they'd fired two managers. 
that the real drama was yet to come. Next, the Spice Girls split up, when Behind the Music continues. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Less than four years after forming on a ramshackle London stage, the Spice Girls were among the most celebrated pop stars in the world. By the fall of 1997, their global legion of fans ranged from armies of American five-year-olds to the president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela. It was like living 20 years in five years. We did things that some people don't do in a lifetime. One minute you were meeting the President Mandela, and the next minute you were doing a big press conference in Cannes to a thousand people. Within a few days of firing manager Simon Fuller in November of 97, the girls released their second album, Spice World. The disc incited a fan frenzy, selling an amazing seven million copies in just two weeks. Spice World, all the way through, man, that thing is chock full of hits, and it's peppy, it's energetic, it's fun. There's a little hip-hop, there's a little Jamaican dance hall stuff. It's a very good record. Within weeks, the girls released a movie of the same name. It could have been embarrassing overkill. Instead, it became the number one film in England and seemed to confirm that the girls could do no wrong. We are just having fun and we're enjoying every minute of it. And we're in a girl gang and you can't beat being in a girl gang. It was fabulous. It should have been the biggest flop that England had ever seen, and it turned out to be sensational. That was a really crazy time. It was like everything we touched turned to gold, and I think that people around us maybe thought that, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Let's milk this cow. The appetite for spice seemed insatiable. In the UK and in the US, fans swarmed to the Vivacious Five, gobbling up their albums and adopting their garish garb and brash sense of style. 
you could actually identify with one of them. You could be athletic and be like sporty, you know, or be sort of adorable and be like baby. And kids really reacted to it because they could see themselves in these girls. America was just mental. In England, the uh, kids used to dress up, you know, they'd be a baby spice or a posh spice or a sporty or whatever. But in America, the parents used to dress like us. <laughs> and that used to freak us out quite a lot. <laughs> The Spice Girls seemed on top of the world. But in the spring of 98, a sudden scandal struck the group when Playboy magazine published nude photos of Jerry Hallowell. The racy shots had been taken before Jerry joined the Spice Girls, at a time when she was desperate for cash. I met a girl who told me about how you could earn 200 pounds an hour if you took your top off, like you did on the beach anyway. And I thought, I'll do that. It certainly come back to haunt me in a massive way. The newly surfaced photos caused a furor, and Jerry Hallowell found herself at the center of a bitter backlash. Jerry was the first to kind of be portrayed as slutty spice. All of a sudden, not only did she talk dirty, but now she was dirty. There was a real fuss made, and people were pretty much outraged. I think because the bands were being targeted for quite a young age group, and it's pretty shocking for 13-year-old girls and younger to see their idols just wearing nothing, basically. People were shocked by it. The uproar over Jerry's saucy photo spread added yet another layer of madness to the constant hysteria surrounding the group. Two years into the Spice sensation, the girls were both exhilarated and exhausted. I think things were ever changing, to be honest with you. We used to go through waves of times when it would be times when we just felt like we couldn't carry on anymore. You know, so much of it was to do with exhaustion. We were just so tired. To Melanie Chisholm, the stress of superstardom was daunting, and she was paying a constant price with her health in exchange for success. We all dealt with things in our own way. And mine was an obsession with exercise and, and eating. It's fair to say, throughout most of the Spice Girls, I was anorexic. And that was the way I survived. You know, I'd run on the treadmill, I'd run away from everything. Melanie wasn't the only one who was reeling. Living in a fishbowl was taking its toll on the rest of the group, too. They were managing themselves, but they didn't really know what they're doing. So. I think inevitably that caused a lot of strain. Who was going to be the boss? Who was going to be in charge? You know what it's like? You have a group of women together. There's always going to be tension and bitchiness and fighting. And Simon Fuller was able to sort of dissolve any of those disputes. Never any okay, fights in this group, right? Yeah, there's yeah. fights Obviously, and yeah. arguments. Could you tell us about them? No. Well, Why that's does that's everybody enough. want to hear the downside thing? There is no downside like to this group. <laughs> exactly. It's buzzing with positive energy. The girls put on a brave front, but as they toured Europe in the spring of 1998, rumors of trouble within the group continued to grow, especially after Jerry missed two concert performances and several public photo ops. On one occasion, they were due to appear on the National Lottery, but only four girls emerged on stage, and everyone was like, well, where's Jerry? Where's she gone? And I think that was the beginning of the end. Things obviously started going downhill. There were obviously squabbles amongst themselves. The Spice Girls were still one of the most popular groups in the world. But as they prepared to tour the US, Jerry Hallowell was ready to call it quits. 
you should never be the last to leave the party. I said to the other girls, I want to go then at the end of the American tour. You can't get better than that. You know, you've done it. You know, we've brought it to the max. She'd been saying that she was unhappy for quite a few months. She was always, you know, wanted to be the big star. And I think she just saw the other girls as a platform to get her there. Ultimately, Jerry didn't even wait for the American tour to begin. Only days before the Spice Girls were to leave for the States, on May 31st, 1998, Jerry announced that she was quitting the group and would return as a solo artist. Ironically, Mel C felt that the relations between the girls had just taken a turn for the better. I remember getting up and getting a phone call from the Spice Girls lawyer saying that Jerry's not coming to work today. She's, um, she's left the band. And I was like, what? You know, I couldn't believe it because you know, things are hard sometimes, but at the moment, things are really good. It still baffles me. I thought, you know, this isn't for me anymore. It's like when you leave a marriage, you can't say, oh, we got divorced because of just one particular reason. She wasn't happy and wasn't doing what she wanted and wasn't allowed to do what she wanted. The rest of the group was stunned by the news. At a critical moment in their careers, five Spice Girls had become four. Shocking news to the band. It devastated people because the Spice Girls were all about being five. It was kind of like one of the members of the TV cast of Friends deciding not to come back. All of a sudden, it just wasn't quite the Spice Girls anymore. They were like five sisters. So Jerry's departure put the girls in a very difficult and challenging position. Sporty, scary, baby and posh decided to press on without Ginger. But suddenly, the Spice Girls weren't such a hot item anymore. Fans were devastated. You buy your ticket, you show up, and now there's not five, there's four. So there seemed to be a mixed message here that we're gonna be together forever, girls rule, girl power, stay together, girls, and oh, but Ginger's not on this tour. Suddenly, that dream was shattered. Suddenly, that great, we are so trendy, we've got the Spice Girls, we've promoted girl power all over the world, was gone. Amazingly, just two years after releasing their first single, the Spice Girls were on the verge of complete collapse. We just were like, you know, Jerry, let's just finish what we started, you know? Let's just complete the American leg of the tour. But she didn't want to carry on. And we were really, really angry with her. It was never the same again. I mean, the four scary, posh, baby and sporty, they tried to carry on. They did the American tour, but it was never the same. You know, I lived and breathed every moment of being in the Spice Girls, I really did. And so then suddenly, you know, I was out on my own and I had to rebuild my life. In June of 99, Jerry released her first album, Schizophonic. Although it sold more than a million copies worldwide, audiences were unsure what to make of a solo Spice Girl. She releases a single, upsets a lot of kids with the video because in one scene there's a hearse goes past with a coffin with ginger in flowers arrangement all along it. So of course all the kids were really upset, you know, death of ginger. Jerry Halliwell's solo career is just, it's just like watching a car crash. I mean the songs that she chooses to put out are just ludicrous. Schizophonic was widely seen as a disappointment, but Jerry's setback didn't deter the remaining Spice Girls from dabbling on separate solo projects. In the fall of 99, Melanie Chisholm abandoned Spice Mania for a chance to work on her own. 
I was still running away from my demons. So I ran away to LA <laughs> and um, I just started working on a solo record. And you know, that's when I admitted my eating disorder to myself. And that was the beginning of a very long road. But out of all that pain and heartache came an album I'm very proud of. You know, Northern Star went on to sell three million copies. In November of 2000, more than three years after their last album, the final four Spice Girls regrouped and released the defiantly entitled Forever. But the group was no longer a hot property, and the record totaled a fraction of its predecessor's take. Spice Girls Forever tanked, and this was just a last gasp. I mean, the last song on it is called Goodbye. It wasn't the real Spice Girls anymore, do you know what I mean? The Spice Girls was the five of us. In the aftermath of Forever, the group quietly disbanded to concentrate full-time on solo careers. Victoria also found success as a respected fashion designer, launching her own eponymous clothing label. Having married England's most flamboyant soccer star, David Beckham, in 1999, the two are the ultimate golden couple in the UK. Wherever they go, they're photographed, they've been in countless magazines. The public seems to be obsessed with them. I think we're a bit obsessed with them as well. In 2007, the Spice Girls reunited for their first reunion tour, the return of the Spice Girls. Tickets sold out in seconds. Later in 2012, the girls performed their hits at the closing ceremony of the Summer Olympics in London. They reunited again for the Spice World 2019 tour, though Victoria Beckham was unable to perform. In July of 2021, for the 25th anniversary of Wannabe, the group released never-before-heard studio demos, as well as Spice 25, a reissue of their debut album. The Spice Girls was amazing, and I'm very proud that I was a part of it. 2022 marks the 25th anniversary of the beloved Spice World movie, which has become a true cult classic. Fans can go see the iconic tour bus from the film on permanent display on the Isle of Wight in England. With their iconic pop hits, fashion, and girl power attitude, the Spice Girls paved the way for new generations of female artists to take the music world by storm. Listen and subscribe to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Be sure to rate and review Behind the Music on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music only on Paramount+. Plus. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.